0: Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson-Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks, with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon. And now another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. bulimia sucks but you don't and here's why the bulimia sucks podcast with kate hudson hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of negative thoughts feelings triggers and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely and guide you towards that happy life you might only dream of right now
1: i can't keep pushing this off i've pushed this off for many many years Hmm. thinking me alone could defeat this thing well Clearly, I cannot defeat it on my own.
0: Bulimia sucks. Is it time to reprogram your mind to the masterpiece that you dream of?
1: We had a like little family sit down and it was, if you give up now, you're going to be so upset with yourself because you're a year into this three-year program.
0: Suck this, Bulimia.
1: I kind of found a voice and I, I'm not really sure what to do with it, but I want to make change.
0: Bulimia sucks. The podcast with Kate Hudson Hall.
2: Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks Because It Does. So thank you for listening to this channel. These are real stories from people who have an eating disorder. And so this podcast is about life with, a, with an eating disorder. And it's a, a platform for people to share relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations based on bulimia and the anorexia, and their victories and the challenges. So episodes will include their personal stories from where they are now, and their difficult journeys, and their steps taken into recovering, recovery or recovering from their eating disorder. And our guest today is the fantastic Jacqueline. So welcome Jacqueline. Thank you so much for agreeing to join us. Thank you so much for having me. So it's great to meet you and this is such fun. So thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you. Me too. Uh, So let me just, let me start by asking you. So what is one of your funniest memories?
1: One of my funniest memories was about a year into recovery, just shy of, um, I got the idea we needed to take a walk in the mountains in Vegas because I was living there with my fiance and didn't bring tennis shoes, decided to go in my flip flops. So we're walking along and I had my camera because I'm a photographer and I looked up and I was like, I want to go up there and start shooting. So there's me, me, silly me, climbing the side of a mountain in my flip-flops. <laughs> <laughs> and my fiancé, such a good sport, is like right behind me. Like, this is not a good idea. This is slippery sleep. We can't really climb this. And I'm like, no, I'm getting to the
2: top.
0: Yeah, and in
1: flip-flops, it's really slippery anyway, isn't
2: it? <laughs>
1: oh my gosh people were standing at the bottom just cracking up I was cracking up it was the funniest experience and one that I don't think I will ever forget because it was one of those things where I was like I want to be adventurous I haven't been adventurous I just want to try something I should have wore tennis shoes (laughs) because I ended up sliding down that mountain (laughs)
2: so is that what happened so you slipped down
1: did you yeah (laughs) yes it's so so funny
2: funny. I love it I love it so what how far up I want to know the details so how far up the mountain did you get before you ended up like
1: oh my gosh about maybe six feet up I couldn't make it very far on those (laughs) (laughs) flip-flops (laughs) <laughs> at the very end at the very end all my fiance said was maybe we should try some tennis shoes next time <laughs> so did anybody video you just try to climb up no
2: but i wish they had because that would have been hilarious <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. I love that that's so funny it's great when you think back to memories like that and just talking about them brings back that same those same fun feelings I oh my gosh it. yeah I love it I love it yes anyway so now so tell me about your experiences so with bulimia and you also had anorexic tendencies Yep. So, Tell me about how old you were when that started and what you remember about that time.
1: What I find so funny, and I think many people out there can understand and agree with, I didn't really realize when it first started. I had an idea of when it first started, but until I started actual eating disorder therapy is when I realized My eating disorder technically started when I was seven years old. Um, I was being abused and I was being abused at my babysitter's house. So I would go to my morning sitter's house and I would make myself sick every morning because I knew if I made myself sick, my, my papa would have to come get me and I could spend the day with my grandfather yeah. Instead of having to go to the sitters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I learned real quick. It took about a year. And then my parents found out what was actually going on. And wow. they immediately, I wasn't going to that person's house anymore. I, everything was cut off. My grandfather primarily took care of me after school from then on, just to make sure that, you know, I felt safe and where I was going to be after school. Mm-hmm. And so I really was able to kind of almost put it on the back burner for a couple of years. Right. It wasn't as prevalent as it was when I was seven because I was using it for a purpose at seven. And then I didn't really need it, but I was really bullied. I stayed in the same school I was in from preschool up. I was in a private Catholic school and I was bullied awfully about my weight about my looks about everything and I had already opened that door to the eating disorder so by 12 I was throwing up everything I ate
2: so there was that there was a, a couple of years where you sort of stepped away from it and then the yes. started
1: oh, yep and it just it was an easy way to fall back into it so I fell right back into my eating disorder I started, I cut out my lunch because I thought maybe if I don't eat lunch, they won't make fun of me because they were, you know, you don't deserve to eat. You shouldn't eat. So then in my little mind, I was so young, it was, well, if I don't eat around you, maybe you won't make those comments. So I stopped eating lunch. I didn't like breakfast. So that was an easy out of, I don't want to eat breakfast because I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. So I was able to kind of remove myself from breakfast. And so I got down to where I was literally eating dinner because my parents, you know, would know if I wasn't eating dinner. So I'd pick up my dinner. Um, I'd always have a very small portion. I'd pick at it. I'd limit what I ate. Um, And all through high school, I was full blown in an eating disorder, eating one meal a day, getting rid of it. And then I graduated from high school. My brother was getting married and I wanted to lose weight and I was in my eating disorder. Yeah. So I went down to, I would eat a salad here and there and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just, it progressively got worse as I got older. I would sometimes get control of it and then I'd fall right back into it. I could never fully recover from it on my own. I tried Many times, but I couldn't fully recover on my own.
2: So did you, did you get any help at that time?
1: Or... No, no, I waited until I was 29. And by the time I was 29, I was passing out to the point of, I had to go to the doctor because I didn't, in my mind, something must've been wrong with me other than my eating disorder for me to be passing out. Yeah. Cause that's what it was telling me was it was something else. So I went to the doctor and at the end of the day, I was so malnourished. I had not enough calories to even keep my organs happy at that point. So I was just, I was starving and I didn't realize it. My cues were gone. So I didn't realize, you know, I was hungry. So by 29, I was told if I didn't get treatment, I was going to die to the disease And so that was kind of my wake-up call.
2: Was this this before your brother's wedding?
1: No, my brother got married when I was 18, and that kind of jump-started this. I could go periods without eating. Oh, okay. That's when I realized I could go longer and longer without eating, and I seemed to be okay. And so then it became a competition of, You know, the last time I didn't eat, I didn't eat for seven days. So maybe I can extend that a little bit longer and make it 10 days. And it just became this internal competition to see how long I could go without food. And it just, it wasn't a healthy way to live. It wasn't a sustainable way to live. I look back now and my brain just wasn't where it needed to be.
2: And what about, um, Did you ever talk about your feelings back then? Were you ever tuning into any of those emotions?
1: Honestly, I think I was so shut off from my emotions, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: from what I can see in myself. I basically shut my emotions down when I was seven and chose that I didn't want to deal with those anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I took literally the joy and the pain out of life. I, I took everything away from myself. So I didn't really feel those emotions to know what was going on. Yeah.
2: And then, so what was the, um, so yeah, carry on. So what happened? What was the deciding? What made you decide? Was it when that doctor said to you, look, you know, you're going to die here. Yep.
1: Yeah, that was it for me. I was like, okay, we got to do something now. Like I can't, I can't keep pushing this off. I've pushed this off for many, many years mm-hmm. thinking me alone could defeat this thing. Well, clearly I cannot defeat it on my own because I've tried and I've unfortunately succumbed to the disease again and again. Yeah. So I ended up looking for a treatment facility we have very, very limited adult help in the state of Michigan for eating disorders right. it's it's devastating how little help there is. Luckily, I found an eating disorder treatment facility and I started I always remember the dates I started February 1st of sixteen
2: <laughs> I love it love it
1: And I finished that program June 10th of sixteen <laughs> And I don't want to go back to a program ever again. <laughs> oh. oh, it wasn't a bad experience. It's just not one that like I thoroughly enjoyed
2: and want to repeat ever again. Yeah. So once you'd finished the program, so how are you feeling? And where were you, at, you know, with regards to the bulimia then?
1: The day I walked out of treatment, I was in a really good place. I felt like I could do anything. Um, And I stayed there about three whole days. And then I went to work on Monday morning because I was supposed to go back to work. I I had been on FMLA. So I went back to work and they told me they were downsizing and I was one of the downsized. Oh, no. And it was just such a blow with where I was at. Yeah. Yeah. So it like it sent that spiral going of all those negative thoughts that the eating disorder brings in of why they get rid of me. What was it about me? What could I have changed? And at the end of the day, it took me a while to get to the point where I realized I hadn't been there in three months. So I hadn't done anything because I wasn't there to do anything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So ultimately it wasn't on me because I wasn't there to do anything. I was, I was getting the help that was needed in order for me to actually be a good employee. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So that was a blow. That was a bit of a setback. I ended up getting a job. It, was not the right fit for me. I admit that to this day. I admitted that at day 90 when I sat down with the company, it just, it wasn't the right fit for me. Um, and so I decided to go live with my fiance for a little bit and just see where life took me. And that has led to a lot of ups and a lot of downs. There's been a lot of Struggles throughout the last couple years, but there's been a lot of highs too. So like, for instance, um, I was in grad school right. because when I was with my former job, they had a rule in my contract that once I hit a year with the company, I had to go back to grad school. So I started grad school while I was with them, continued grad school all through my tr- treatment. Wow. And... Yeah, I was just so proud of myself that I was able to get really decent grades. Wow. Above 3.0 in grad school.
2: Wow.
1: Wallet wow. treatment. Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, and so when I got let go from the job, um we had a like little family sit down and it was a you give up now, you're gonna be so upset with yourself because you're a year into this three-year program, finish the program. I had many ups and downs through that program of just ultimate struggles with my eating disorder, coming back and coming out of the shadows. And a lot of it stemmed from, and I don't know if others can um, understand this, but I think they can. A lot of it stemmed from poor advice from doctors. where I would go to an appointment and I get weighed backwards to this day because the number is very triggering to my disorder. It likes the numbers. Yeah. I understand that about it. Therefore I don't give it the numbers. Yeah, And I still get laughed at. I, to this day get laughed at when I say, nope, I need to go, I need to do it backwards and I need to not know what it is. They still to this day laugh at me. Um, I've been told because my body is recovering and my numbers are evening out and my blood work is evening out that I need to go on certain diets. Huge triggers, (laughs) huge triggers for me.
2: What do you say? So
1: at first, nothing. At first, I was so insecure in myself still that I didn't know how to come back at what they were doing or what they were saying. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple later, when they gave that advice, especially the one that told me to go on this like really strict diet. And it was for, I was like 1% higher than the norm. (laughs) And so I was like, you're telling me to go on this really strict diet for 1%. Number one, you know, my history Number two, that is uncalled for. And number three, I am no longer your patient.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And I I walked away because what else can you do? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So then so then what happened? Thank God you walked away. So
1: I have I have left a lot of doctors. I have found a voice to stand up against them and inform them they need further education into eating disorders and am a huge proponent that there needs to be more covered in med school. Huge proponent that eating disorders need to be brought to the light. That It's not this what you see on TV, really sick, really awful disease. It's the awful disease that looks like that. and looks like the neighbor next door and looks like the guy down the street. You never know who has it. And so you got to be more cautious in how you talk to people and there needs to be further education. And that's, that's what I keep telling every doctor I meet. I'm like, there just needs to be more education into this because I need you to understand what you're treating. And I got very lucky. I found a primary doctor who understands my history. She has worked with eating disorders in the past. And her number one thing is I can treat you with meds. I can treat you with anything I want, but I can never restrict what you eat.
2: Absolutely.
1: I can never bring up food.
2: Yeah.
1: That is, that is just not a treatment method that we can utilize. And I, so appreciate her being open to the fact that with a history of an eating disorder to tell someone that they have to manage their health with food only yeah. or with a really strict diet no. is not an answer
2: no. the diet's not an answer for anyone <laughs> no it
1: doesn't work for anyone
2: no absolutely not but you're not actually addressing the root causes of what's going on.
1: Yep. Yeah, I kind of found a voice, and I I'm not really sure what to do with it, but I want to make change.
2: <laughs> but it will come to you. It will. It will. Yes. I love it. I love yes. it. So, um, and so, how long have you been seeing this doctor?
1: I've been with my primary care doctor for um, two years now.
2: Okay, good.
1: Yep, two years. I've been with my therapist who is amazing and gotten me through so much since I started treatment. Yeah, yeah. So I've been with her five years now.
2: Yeah. It's just, it, so it, one it, I... it's so important to find that right person. Mm. That right therapist.
1: Exactly. Oh, yes. You feel it comfortable is.
2: Comfortable and open up. But you've, you know, if you haven't got that right therapist, you need to, you know, go out and find one. Because you will be able yes. to find one. Yes. And have I completely them. agree. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, uh, But I also feel like when you're going through recovery... You have to put your team together that's the right team for you. Yeah. You need yeah. that therapist that you can talk to and understand. But you also need a primary doctor that you can go to when something goes wrong. Yeah. That's going to listen and understand what's going on and not just say, oh, it's your eating disorder and write you off. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So so where are you now in life?
1: So right now I am in the best place I think I've ever been. Oh,
2: I love
1: it. Um, I have my eating disorder in his little box in my head and I know where he is at all times. I am conscious of him, but I don't give him power. I get up in the morning and I start my day saying to myself, this is my day. And I literally say to myself, you are not in control, mister. And... I start the day that way. And as long as I find, if I start the day that way, I have the strength to get through the day that way. If I don't start my day that way, then he can kind of push me around a little bit. So I start my day every day, reminding myself I'm the one in control, not him. And I am so happy with life where my fiance and I are about to buy a house. We're moving on with our lives. We want to start a family. I can actually consider starting a family because I'm not boggled down by this eating disorder that was eating my life away.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so it's such a great place to be in. I'm in graduate school for the second time. This time getting a counseling degree, though, because I want to turn my past into a positive. I and I want it. to help others and find a way to give them their voices.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And my yeah. therapist helped me find my voice. I want to give back.
2: Oh, I love it, Jacqueline. And that's that's what happened with me after I've oh, been through you. my bulimia. Then it was when I came out the other side, it was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to be able to help other people how I've been helped I need to do this. I want other people to be able to, yeah. to find their voices. I love it. So whereabouts are you? Exactly. In the, in the course, how how far into it are you? I'm about a year into
1: the program. It's um, depending on how I stretch the classes, three to four years, I'll probably be closer to a four year program yeah. um, because I had to take some time off for some surgeries um but should be done in about 3 years and doing my clinicals at that point and moving yeah. on to actually being able to forge my way in this world kind of a thing.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So I feel like I'm at a place where I can really honor who I am and tell myself that it this eating disorder that controlled so much of my life didn't take my life from me yeah so I get to live it and do what I want with it now which
2: fantastic
1: there's nothing greater
2: yeah so so Jacqueline tell me so what do you feel was the hardest part about having bulimia
1: this is gonna sound probably really strange but hiding it that was because at the time I thought hiding it from everybody was probably the hardest part because I thought I had found like this key to change life, to make it better. And I wanted to share it and I had to hide it because I knew people wouldn't understand. And at the end of the day, it was hiding it to make it so no one would try and help me. So I think that was the hardest part was it was just this little secret of mine that I couldn't share with anybody that I thought was this great thing at the time. It was not. It was the furthest thing from it. But in that disordered thinking, it, it had opened doors for me. And at the end of the day, it had closed doors for me. But the hardest part was honestly hiding it from everybody.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can fully understand that. So, if you could turn back the time and talk to that 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 young you, that seven year old you, or the twelve year old you, excuse me, what would you tell her?
1: Um, I've been trying to think about this for a very long time. So it's funny you ask. I think the first thing I would tell her is that she is loved and she matters and she has a voice and that no matter what other people say, she's important in this world because at that age, I didn't feel like I was and I had to find another way to make it through life. And I succumbed to a disorder. And I think she needed at that time to know that Whatever she was feeling, whatever was going on, it was all valid. It all mattered. And most important, I mattered at that age. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So what, what advice would you give somebody with bulimia? From all that you've been through?
1: From all that I've been through? Um, the biggest piece of advice I think I needed and I would like to pass on is that while you're in it, I know it feels so powerful. You're stronger than it. You really are. Even at your weakest, you are stronger than that disorder. And you can overcome it. You, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to be painful and hard and brutal at times but you're strong enough to make it through that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So where, where are you now? Well, tell us, say, so your future. So you're going to, you've got another three years. Yep. So say in, say, two years down the line, where would you like to be with regards to that little box?
1: I would like that little box to keep getting smaller as it has been. I would like my life to continue to be able to be in control over him and to remain centered in who I am, because as long as I'm centered in who I am mentally, physically, emotionally and spiritually, that little box gets smaller every day. And so I can just two years down the line, it's just this little minuscule box that, right. you know, I don't yeah. have to be aware of all the time that I can know. Yeah, it's there. But ultimately, I'm in control and I don't have to give him anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So little minuscule and then vanish completely.
1: Yes, ma'am. I want him gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well you never know, maybe that
2: may happen sooner. Sooner. That would be amazing. Maybe I don't know, six months, who knows? Who knows? (laughs) That that would be amazing. Yeah. So so you various therapies that you've been to and doctors. Yep. But are there any other specific resources that have really helped you in your recovery? Support groups.
1: Right. Um, unfortunately, during COVID, I haven't been able to go to any because they're not holding them here, which is really disappointing and frustrating that we're not even doing Zoom sessions. Yeah. Um, because I miss that support of a group setting that everyone can kind of it, have input and share what they've experienced. And you feel less alone in that group setting when there's more of you that have been through it. So I really I missed that COVID kind of took that away from us. So I'm hoping eventually it'll come back. Yeah. But group therapies or group um, handed groups for those in recovery, um, those really kind of opened a new door for me where I felt like you know what, maybe I'm not the only one that thinks this way or has experienced this. And so maybe I need to bring it up and talk it out and see what other people think. Yeah. So that part, that part has really helped. Um, I'm in a couple support groups on Facebook that have helped. um, Those groups, you really got to be careful because some of them are a little too supportive of the disorder. So you got to be a little picky. Um, but when you find the right support groups, they're very good support groups. Yeah. Um, so once COVID hit, I kind of had to join those instead because of, I needed something. I needed somewhere where I could go, that I could be open, that I knew people wouldn't judge and they would understand. So that's
2: helped a lot too. Yeah. Knowing that you're not alone. people understand, I think, you know, unless you've actually been through, it's difficult for people to understand understand yep. what you know, what you're saying about your experiences and where you are so absolutely yeah um so tell me who was the first person because I, I know how difficult it is for people in their recovery or thinking about recovery to actually take that first step to reach out for help so who was it that you reached out for help too. I know that you were seven. So how did your parents, it was your parents that realized what had happened to you? Or... Um,
1: when I was eight years old, I went to a sleepover at a friend's house and we were just playing with our dolls and we got to talking and we found out that what had happened to me had happened to her So what we didn't realize because we were eight and you pay attention to what's going on around you when you're eight and you're playing, her mom was outside the door listening. So ultimately the parents found out by mistake what had happened to us. Yeah. Yeah. But it was probably the best thing because then we both like everything stopped. We got taken away from that person's house. We weren't allowed back there. Like, it changed everything.
2: Yeah.
1: But it was ultimately and a, just two little girls talking and comparing what had happened, and it changed everything. So.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yep. Gosh. So, well, Jacqueline, so is there anything else that you would like to share with us with regards to your experiences. Um I don't know if there's anything
1: else I'd like to share. It's what I would like to say is this journey is I like to call it a child's coloring page. My little niece gave me the best analogy and it was because she was coloring and her colors they all go together the lines end and begin and they create circles and squares and everything is just complete chaos in a drawing from a toddler. And that is recovery. There are good days and there are really tough days. There are days that I question remaining in recovery. And then there's days where I'm like, I am so silly. That was a bad day yesterday. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah I mean, and the so whole it's is actually okay that was yesterday and reminding yourself that that was in the past and I can move up yep, exactly and I can exactly I can make a decision about what I'm going to do today and I'm going to stay focused but yesterday was in the past
1: yes exactly and you can learn the tricks of the monster And I call him a monster because that is what he is. He wreaks havoc on your life. He's a monster. And you can learn his tricks and how he comes out. And you can catch him faster every time he comes out. And it gets to the point where you catch him right away.
2: So tell me for you, how do you know when he's opened that box?
1: There's a whisper.
2: It's a whisper. There's this friendly, there's this
1: friendly little whisper going, You're having a great day. And what could we change about today? Do you really need that? And I'm like, You're out. I hear you in there. You're out. It's time to go back to your cage. So that's so You're
2: aware of it. It's a whisper.
1: Yep. And it's a very friendly whisper at first. Yeah. Yeah. I call it a narcissist. My eating disorder is a narcissist. It's very friendly at first. And then as quickly as it's friendly, it turns on that mean. Yeah. And so he is one that I know right away because I can go from, he's in the box and when he's in the box, he's very loud. He likes to scream. He likes to be heard. And when he comes out of the box, he's
2: quiet. Oh, I see. Yep. So you can still hear him in the box, though, when he's in there, when he's locked in. Yep. Oh, I see. If I, if
1: I allow myself to, yes, yes, I can. For the most part, I completely have learned to tune him out. Every once in a while, though, I got to check in and make sure he's still in there. So every once in a while, I'll be like, OK, where are you at in there? And then I can hear the yelling and the negativity that comes around with it because it's so mean and it's so negative And that's just, it's not good for you to hear it all the time. So for me, I've learned to like, I, it's a guy thing. And I call it a guy thing. I can totally tune him out. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tune him out completely. And then every once in a while, I check in to make sure he's in there.
2: And then i
1: Okay, you're good. You can stay in there a little longer.
2: <laughs> or forever. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. So padlock yeah. on that on that box. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. My therapist always made me picture putting him in the box, closing the lid of the box, putting the lock on it, turning the key, taking the key away. Like she always made me picture that because It's the easiest way for me to keep him kind of where he's supposed to be. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for that analogy because I can actually visualize that now.
2: Yeah. And it, it really helps. So what would, so when you, when you visualize that box now, how big is it?
1: It's a lot smaller than it was. Like it's so much smaller than it was in the past. It was, Oh, it was about that big in the past. Now it's maybe like this big. So it's about that big.
2: And how close up up is it?
1: It's actually really far away at this point.
2: Oh, I love it. I love it. What would happen if you put it? It's far
1: out there. It's it's one of those things that if you want it, you gotta like really run for it because it's way out there. What
2: What would happen if you pushed it even further away? a good question maybe you could try that yeah yeah because if you if you push it further away it's going to get smaller and smaller isn't it maybe, that is true that's very true imagine it's super glued on the moon so that like, would be amazing <laughs> that part of the way. you could try that don't know.
1: yes I will thank you
2: maybe we'll all be looking at the moon going well can we see it it's up there because I I don't want it anymore (laughs) (laughs) oh so is there anything else that you would like to share with everybody I don't think so I think that about covers it you know I just thank you so much for sharing your story Jacqueline it's going to help so many people and how far you have thank you. and your journey and the direction that you've decided to take is just huge. It's amazing. So I thank you. Huge. Thank am, you so much.
1: Yeah. I am amazing. so thankful to you for doing this podcast and allowing us to be a part of it.
2: Yeah. We want to spread the word as far out there as the moon. <laughs>
1: No one is alone. Out there is no one is alone and I think I think you're really reminding people that they are not alone in this.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's giving people the thoughts and uh the tools to be brave enough to step forward and reach out for help. Because mm. that's a that's such a big, difficult step for many, and knowing that there is other support. I think, it's
1: honestly, the hardest.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, thank you so much, Jackin. Thank so you, Joe. Nice spoken to you, fantastic. So that's all for today for today's episode of Bulimia Sucks. So, thanks for listening. And thank you, Jacqueline, for joining me today and sharing your heartfelt journey. So join us again on the next episode of Bulimia Sucks. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Plus, if you haven't already heard about it, check out my book, Bulimia Sucks, on Amazon um, and learn different techniques where you can overcome Specific patterns in your bulimic behaviour so thanks for listening to Jacqueline and her incredible journey um, and well before we go show some love for your favourite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts um, and make sure to join our Facebook group Bulimia Sucks if you haven't already so we're Where it's just so positive, like Jacqueline was saying, to connect with others, to express how you are in that particular moment. And we can, you know, it's great to talk about it and hear where other people are in their journey. So come and join us. So thank you again for listening to Bulimia Suck.
0: Bulimia sucks, but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon.